It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, October 14th, 2023. I'm Jared Halpern. The Biden administration signals unflinching support for Israel as a new war with Hamas opens. Let there be no doubt the United States has Israel's back. We'll make sure the Jewish and Democratic state of Israel can defend itself. And the search for a Speaker of the House is about to enter its third week. The conference has to decide if they're going to be able to govern. And it can't be a majority if you can't govern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. For more than two decades, Americans have recalled where they were and what they were doing on September 11th, 2001. For millions of Israelis, they'll now never forget where they were on October 7th, 2023. One of my cousins immigrated to Israel in, uh, for work reasons. It was his first or second week here. Um, and he woke me up early in the morning. I think it was about 7, 7.30, Saturday morning. Told me that, the, that they, are, they are shooting missiles from Gaza and uh, should wake up and uh, check out the situation. Uh, because it, this is all new to him. And uh, we were pretty much... I got used to the fact that we were getting bombed on a daily basis for the past 20 years. I told him that there's probably nothing big and uh, you should go back to sleep because it's Saturday morning. Um, But then we turned the TV on and uh, we pretty much uh, understood very quickly what we're dealing with. That's Sinai Murad. Ariel Borkas lives in Tel Aviv. Saturday morning at... uh... 6 or 6.15, 6.30, I woke up to the sirens in Tel Aviv. Um, I was very confused. I thought I was dreaming, Um, but I obviously got up and went into our bomb shelter, um, which is in our apartment. Uh, It was then that I, you know, realized my my boyfriend, uh, my boyfriend bikes, and he went out at, uh, at five in the morning biking, and I didn't know in which direction he went. I don't know where he was. Um, and you know, the sirens kept going and I had a massive panic attack. Um, he wasn't answering. I didn't know where he was, you know, where he was. He then sent me a video that he was okay, but he was out, um, you know, on the highway, uh, looking for cover, um, you know, out. Um, and throughout that time, uh, we started being made aware that there's terrorists that are, that have infiltrated. And so everyone obviously started uh, being very stressed and very worried. Um, and he couldn't find his way back. He was closer to the Jerusalem area around the Trun. Um, and it was just, you know, uh, everyone was trying to figure out what is happening. Taxis weren't, you know, going and bombs kept going off. So no one wanted to move. But the Iron Dome doesn't fully, you know, work well in that area where he was. And so it was it was just a very scary situation. And I think that I was just trying to make sure that he comes home safe. 
President Biden sent Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to Israel, and the administration is vowing unwavering support, the president saying this week. Let there be no doubt the United States has Israel's back. We will make sure the Jewish and Democratic State of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. It's as simple as that. The president called the Hamas attacks sheer evil and a slaughter of innocent men, women, and children. You know, there are moments in this life, and I mean this literally, when the pure, unadulterated evil is unleashed on this world. The people of Israel lived through one such moment this weekend. Among the dead are more than two dozen American citizens. Many others remain unaccounted for. And the national security team believes at least some are hostages in Gaza. I asked Sinai and Ariel about the U.S. response so far with President Biden's words. Israel is strong enough in order to defeat this enemy. But we need, we need the, the war to back us up, basically. We need, we need support in terms of... Uh, um, Things like you guys are doing in exposing the true face of our enemy and what we're dealing with. Um, and uh, we, we can do it. Love will win. I think that um, first and foremost, I really would like to thank President Biden because I think that was one of the best speeches I've ever heard. Um, and the entire nation um, agrees with that. We're extremely, extremely grateful that um, President Biden really um, says it how it is and, you know, condemns Hamas for being, you know, a terrorist, a, a terrorist organization and, and understands the severity of if people are going to make it smaller or are going to make excuses for what is happening, it's going to happen again and again. And not only in Israel, also in the United States, when we see their charter, we know exactly what they stand for. We know exactly what they want to achieve. And every single nation that every single country that doesn't see it for what it is, um, unfortunately, is going to have to um, suffer uh, at a later time. In the days since those attacks on Saturday and the horrific images of murdered young people and kidnapped concert goers, Israel has begun striking Hamas targets in Gaza, a near constant bombardment. That, too, is leaving hundreds of civilians dead. Fox's Trey Yanks has been fearlessly reporting from the Israel-Gaza border, describing the pain and loss on both ends of the conflict. We do have some new reporting from inside the Gaza Strip. We are learning from a diplomatic source that Hamas, the group in control of Gaza, is preventing Palestinian civilians from leaving their homes whenever the Israelis warn them about an upcoming airstrike. They have a way to alert civilians so they can get out of the building. And according to our diplomatic source that it's been confirmed on the ground in Gaza City, a second source telling us that Hamas is preventing these civilians from leaving. Secretary of State Antony Blinken addressed that in remarks this week in Qatar. We discussed with the Israelis, uh, urged the Israelis to use every possible precaution uh, to avoid harm to civilians. Um, it's also important to remember the fundamental issue that makes this so complicated. As I said again a moment ago, Hamas uses civilians as human shields. It puts them in places where they will be in danger. It puts them in places where they're used in effect to try to protect uh, Hamas officials uh, or their equipment or infrastructure. 
Civilians, of course, should not be the target of military operations. They are not the target of Israeli operations. They are very deliberately the target of Hamas's action. Reuters has confirmed a journalist documenting the fighting in Lebanon near the Israeli border was killed by an Israeli strike. A White House spokesperson told reporters President Biden's prayers are with the family of the videographer killed, noting the incredibly dangerous work journalists are doing to cover the war. Before ending my conversations with Sinai and Ariel, I asked both how they see this ending and what the future holds. Um, I think that first and foremost, people... um How do I say this? Israelis want to live in peace and quiet. That's what we want. We want Palestinians to be able to live in peace and quiet, but we're also educated on the matter and know that as long as Hamas is there, that won't happen. Um, And so the people of Israel, and I mean, I can't speak to everyone, but I can say that uh, the the, the big, big majority um, is not only angry with what has happened, but wants um, Hamas... um, gone. And so um, I think that that's the main priority. We really believe that that is the the first step towards, um, you know, a a peaceful and hopefully quiet land. We can't forget that in 2005, when, you know, Gush Katif was, was, uh, you know, when all the people left Gush Katif and Gaza was created as 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 a peace offering, it was because we wanted Palestinians to thrive billions of dollars have been given to them in infrastructure, uh, education, and you name it. Um, If this money and these resources would have gone to a government that actually cares about their citizens, then they would have had a a new Dubai. And that's what I wish for them. Um, Just it can't be at the expense of someone else. As somebody who covers politics here in the United States, we I have done a lot of reporting on the divisions in Israel over the judicial reform bill. It's been a big topic of discussion with President Biden. He's, he has spoken with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and President Herzog. I get the sense that that is not anything that anybody's talking about for the foreseeable future in, in Israel. The political dynamic in your country, it seems to me, has changed over the last four or five days. Very true. Uh, I live in Tel Aviv where... Uh... Protests uh, are usual things. Our usual thing. Uh, protests happen, happen every week, large, big ones, with tens of thousands. Not anymore. All of our disagreements, put we put them to the side and uh, gather all together to beat Hamas. That's 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 the situation that we're that we're facing right now. There's no room for any political disagreements. It's either us or them, the terror organization that we're facing. The, the most important thing, our main focus is, is making sure that the victims have the support that they need and that the hostages will be freed as soon as possible. We all work together tirelessly from helping soldiers with uh, uh, gear to donations to victims. Um, there's so many different initiatives going on from warm food to packaging, donations. The whole country is working overtime to make sure that everyone um, is taken care of, and whether it's uh, Israeli Arabs, Christians, Jews, everyone has been coming together and realizing that at the end of the day, 
our enemy, um, you know, it doesn't care if it's a Jew or if it's, you know, an Arab or a Christian, you know, these, they bomb the houses of everyone. So we really have come together and it's been making me very, very emotional and, and very proud to be Israeli, um, to see to what extent we have come together. You, you mentioned your boyfriend making it back. Um, I know that they've had a massive call up of reservists, your friends, family starting to, to deploy. Um, a lot of a lot of my friends have been uh, called up. Um, a lot of them are currently um, in their bases, and we're all um, praying for them and just hope for them to all all come safe. I genuinely I pray, I pray for them every single day. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Questions about who the next speaker of the House will be can be answered with that shrugging emoji. It's just really, really unclear who the slim Republican majority will rally around after ousting former Speaker Kevin McCarthy during that historic vote on October 4th, a week and a half ago. We have to come together for the country. Uh, but I never came here for a title. And it's much bigger than me and it's much bigger than anybody else. And nobody's going to use me as an excuse to hold back our ability to get the House opened again. That is House Republican leader Steve Scalise, who won a vote among House Republican members this week to be their nominee for speaker. But as the week went on, it was clear he was not going to secure the 217 votes on the House floor when everyone votes. And so he dropped out and attention moved to Jim Jordan, the Ohio Republican who has gained favor with former President Trump for his role as Judiciary Committee chairman. I think I can unite the conference. I think I can go tell the country what, what we're doing and why it matters to them. And we'll talk about that. But after a vote late Friday, he, too, is short of 217. And some Republicans still bitter over how McCarthy was ousted are looking for alternatives. Look, if you listen to Kevin McCarthy's words, he said he doesn't want to be nominated. But he's also said he was willing to abide by the will of the conference. It's time for the conference to draft Kevin McCarthy. That is Florida Republican Carlos Jimenez urging essentially a redo from this month's vote that ended in the removal of McCarthy as speaker. Georgia Republican Austin Scott announced his speaker bid, surprising many, but still winning only dozens of votes in the divided GOP conference. As for McCarthy, he has endorsed Scalise and has supported Jordan to replace him. The conference has to decide if they're going to be able to govern. And you can't be a majority if you can't govern. And if you're going to allow four, eight members, 4% of the conference to dictate what 96, you're not going to be a majority. So again, that shoulder shrugging emoji comes to mind about what's next and how long this stalemate preventing the House from doing much of anything will continue. Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chet Pergram has been in the halls of Congress hearing from members with some more colorful descriptions than emojis. I'll give you two stories here. Uh, there was one member who came out of the GOP meeting and indicated that this whole process, this entire quagmire they're in, is a, quote, blank show. The other thing that happened is that, and I won't tell you who it was, but there was a very senior member here on the Republican side uh, who came out of the meeting crying. Um, I've never seen that here on Capitol Hill. 
I've never seen the House in a stasis like this. Um, that doesn't mean that they're not going to get there and elect a speaker, but uh, there are such raw nerves on both sides. Uh, uh, but the Republicans are just throttling one another. They're upset about the process. They're up- upset at the group that kicked out uh, Kevin McCarthy a few weeks ago. They're upset the fact that they just can't elect a speaker with this narrow majority, the idea that they can't get together. There's a lot of recriminations and, and, and backstabbing and backbiting. Uh, it's bad. And, and this is where you talk to somebody like Jim Jordan, who says, I can be a uniter, or Steve Scalise, who can be a uniter. You know, and, you know, we heard this when they kept you know, stumbling to try to you know, even bring up a bill a few weeks ago on the, on the, uh, the, uh, to fund the Pentagon. And they kept mm-hmm. saying, oh, you know, we, we're more unified than we ever have been before. Baloney. Baloney. <laughs> They're not. And, and it's playing out in real time in front of us. Well, I appreciate you saying baloney. We can put that on the podcast. Maybe not some of the descriptions that other House Republicans have given you. But um, listen, this presents some real concerns from a national security standpoint, from a you know function of government standpoint. Um, we're now entering, what, our almost third week without a Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. There is a war raging now between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. There are concerns that it could widen uh, into the region. Is any of that putting pressure on Republicans to move forward and, and get somebody in place here? It, it is. And I reported that last weekend, that uh, this was a perilous time for the House not having somebody in place uh, because they couldn't even adopt a resolution that would you know, pass with probably close to 415 members of the House, give or take, um, to condemn Hamas and uh, applaud Israel and stand by Israel. Uh, you can't even do that without a speaker. Mm-hmm. And that's where there's been some talk about maybe empowering Patrick McHenry, who is the speaker pro tem. Uh, should he, you know, just kind of run the House, maybe, you know, invest him in this somehow? A lot of members think that's a bad precedent. Uh, there's been talk about maybe developing a coalition speaker. There was kind of a, a wink and a nod by Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, just a couple of days ago, hinting that maybe that's what they should do. Maybe there would be a block of of Democrats who could team with, you know, a block of Republicans. Um, That's pretty remarkable in that sense. Uh, But just because if you elect a speaker, it doesn't mean that you put out all these fires. I said this on the air the other day, that there was the year that England had three kings. And so just because you elect a speaker now, granted, we're starting to get a little bit late in the year here, but you get the idea that maybe this doesn't turn out too hot and by January or February or something, you know, they move on to somebody else because the promises. uh, (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of what we're dealing with here as a parliamentary system. This was a vote of no confidence in Kevin McCarthy to oust him in the first place. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the role here of uh, Patrick McHenry, Um, Mm -hmm. because you and I have discussed and I've discussed with some others that this idea, this position of a speaker pro tem and acting speaker is pretty new. It was put in place as a continuity of government uh, security after 9-11. I get the sense that it was not intended um, to be a long-term position, and there seems to be some differing legal views on exactly what he is empowered to do. Can you kind of just explain what it is that, that he is empowered to do right now? The idea was if you had a decapitation of the American government and many members of Congress killed and or the speaker, at least you had somebody who might survive. And it's more than just one person on this special list, Mm -hmm. but the speaker's pro tem. So 
chances are and it's a secret list right that's part of the yes, national exactly. security aspect the, of it in the safe of the clerk's office here at the yeah. capitol and so on so you get the idea how, just how how secretive this is so we don't know who else is on the list but patrick McHenry was first on on the list so he took over when the chair when the speakership was vacated just a couple of weeks ago and as you say this was put together for continuity of government so that's not the scenario here. So the House kind of gavels in and gavels out, you know, regular intervals. It's supposed to do that under the Constitution. They can't do any business because by rule, the first order of business is to elect a speaker. So some members have talked about, could we somehow adopt a resolution that empowers him on an interim basis, maybe for 45 or 90 days? Now, two things. People will say that's not what this guy is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But au contraire, you have other people saying, do you think that we created the position of speaker pro tem to think that they wouldn't pass things? Now, again, that was in a, a tragic national security emergency right. here, you know, where, where you've had, uh, you know, continuity of government issues. Uh, but did you think that the speaker pro tem was not put in place to actually, you know, run the House and advance legislation and do all the things that they usually do here on Capitol Hill? That's a pretty compelling argument, frankly, maybe not for these circumstances. Now, the other side of the coin is the House, as you know, operates a lot on precedent. Uh, there are three books of precedent, Deschler's, uh, Cannon's, and Hines, and uh, I have them all three. And so if you've established a new precedent in the House of Representatives, that's how you do things in the future. So imagine we get to the year 2055 and they're having trouble electing a speaker, or maybe it's just become the custom of the House that you just appoint a speaker or a speaker pro tem. You'd actually don't. You see, and this is where members are like, I like the idea of getting the House running now, but I don't like establishing this precedent. Right. That is a slippery slope. Would this be challenged in court? Any bill that is passed. Right. By the, you see, that any bill, Jared. And, I and said then that it goes to, to somebody the Senate. this weekend that if they went yes. about this route, anything that was signed essentially by Speaker Pro Tem McHenry would certainly face a court challenge. You got it. You got it. So, and, that's, and that's why they are reluctant to do that. Uh, I mean, so what is the, the way out of this cul-de-sac? I, I know that, you know, they had rallied at some point around Scalise. He's out, can't get 217. It now maybe is Jim Jordan. He seems to be having some math issues, as, as you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, is this like a next man? Is this like when quarterbacks get hurt and the team just has to start putting the next man up? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you know, do they do they find somebody deep in the bench here? Uh, at some point, you know, and this is where some people think that maybe, maybe you do run just Patrick McHenry as, uh, you know, the as the regular speaker. Maybe that's that's that. He's somebody who's not in leadership. He's somebody who's far enough away that maybe he could actually, uh, you know, from the current leadership that would count somehow. That people would like that. You might be able to do something with maybe bring back Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I talked to several members. You know, Kevin McCarthy has been running around the building, appearing on Fox News, talking to Brett Baer, you know, you name it. Speaking at he's spoken at the press conferences three times today, you know, acting, you know, commenting, opining on the Middle East. I mean, he is acting very speaker s saying, you know, guys, you miss me yet. Um, Well, but there's nobody else to do that, Chad. Exactly. And that's the problem. You know, unless, unless, okay, and you don't know, maybe there's a name, you know, to use your analogy, maybe there's a Brock Purdy out there. You know, the guy who was the last in the draft, is now the quarterback of the House of Representatives. for the San Francisco 49ers and has been very good and very talented. Yes, but that's how these things go. And Jared, I always talk about who gets into leadership. 
And I've talked about this many times. It is not partisan politics. It is particle politics. Right. Who is elected into leadership in both the House and Senate and leadership in, in both bodies is at the subatomic political level. You can't see. So just a couple of days ago, it was thought that it was going to be Steve Scalise, then mm -hmm. Jim Jordan. Uh, did the Democrats somehow stumble into getting the speakership here? I don't know. And I can give you chapter and verse of how like Bob Livingston, who was a Republican representative from Louisiana, who had been picked in late 1998, had an affair, had a sex scandal, and then they picked Denny Hastert to be the speaker. Mm -hmm. uh, you had uh, a situation in the Senate where one of my favorite leadership stories of all time was in 1994. Republicans got the, the Senate and you had uh, Ben Nighthorse Campbell, who was a Democrat at the time. George Mitchell had been the Democratic leader and was uh, retiring. Uh, he was the majority leader. Democrats lost the Senate. Uh, and so he switched parts. So he so Ben Nighthorse Campbell was a Native American senator from Colorado. He voted in the Democratic caucus election in the fall of 1994. So then Republicans take over in 95. Now, Republicans had the majority there. And then he switched parties. But the two people who ran to succeed George Mitchell were Christopher Dodd, who was a senator from Connecticut at the time, and Tom Daschle from South Dakota. Now, you've never heard of Leader Dodd. You have heard of Leader Daschle. Mm -hmm. Tom Daschle won by one vote, Jared. Now, who do you think Ben Nighthorse Campbell voted for in the Democratic caucus before he switched parties? The man who represents the Sioux Nation in South Dakota or a Connecticut Yankee? Game, set, match right there. Particle right. politics. Yeah. So we might have a yeah. Brock Purdy here in Congress I before mean, this is all over. But the reality is they have to get this figured. I mean, there is not a scenario in which this lasts for weeks or months, is there? We, we tend to think that... It not. But again, you never know. Uh, I think that, that if push comes to shove, they will start to say, all right, we've got to figure this out. And, and you know, Zach Nunn, who's a Republican representative from mm -hmm. Iowa the other day, he said, I'm for anybody who can just get the House running. I mean, it's <laughs> that I mean, I mean, they are that kind of desperate. I will finish with this. Um, what happens to the eight Republicans who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy? What does their future look like in well, Kevin the McCarthy, GOP conference once this is over? Yeah, well, they get a lot of shade, first of all. Uh, they're probably not going to get a lot of help on their amendments and bills and everything else. This is why Nancy Mace from South Carolina was parading around the building wearing a scarlet letter like Hester Prine. I saw that. Uh, you know, in the building. Um, and Kevin McCarthy has a pretty good war chest. He's still a, a, a very deep fundraiser for the GOP. And he has, you know, made no bones about his antipathy for her and for called her out by name and also for Gates and a couple others. And uh, I bet dollars to donuts that he works like the devil to make sure that they lose their primaries. And they mm -hmm. elect somebody who, from his perspective, is somebody who's more reasonable. So this is going to have some ripple effects moving forward. This is going to be um, a long sort of family issue that the House Republicans are going to have to yeah, You just don't fix it by after they the get the speaker selected. That's right. Yeah. Well, Chad, I look forward to reading your rules of uh, Congress when it's uh, published soon. Until then, um, have a good weekend. Pergram's precedence. That's right. There you go. All right. Thanks, Chad. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington. 
What impact will the war between Israel and Hamas play in U.S. elections? Foreign policy is already dividing Republican candidates. Ryan Schmelz chats with Republican strategist Colin Reed about where the party is headed and what polls tell us about voters' concerns abroad. And former FBI investigator Bill Daly also joins Ryan for a conversation about threats facing the U.S. homeland from the Middle East, the Far East, and the southern border. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.